Welcome everyone, you're listening to Radio DDC Podcast by the National Library with me, Tiru, your host. In this series, we take our listeners down memory lane as we explore Singapore's musical history and the development of its music scene through audio recordings of local compositions. We will also be sharing stories and materials found in the library's collections. Each episode features a conversation with special guests from the industry and our arts librarians who will share their personal experiences and anecdotes as we traverse through the topics. Stay tuned! Musicals derive their power from words set to music, but it is the words of another group of people, the arts journalists and theatre critics, who give musicals the wings to either sink or soar in the public imagination. For the next 25 minutes, we will be listening into the conversation between literary arts librarian Michelle Heng and our special guest Clarissa Woon. In Clarissa's 17 years as a Straits Times journalist, from the late 1990s to the mid-2010s, she has reviewed many plays and musicals and documented the evolution of Singapore theatre in her book, Theatre Life, A History of Singapore English Language Theatre, 1958-2000. Clarissa has followed the development of iconic Singapore musicals such as Chang and Eng, and now works as Head of Communications and Content at Esplanade, Theatres on the Bay. She develops the National Performing Arts Centre's Esplanade Offstage Digital Platform for the streaming of performances and behind-the-scenes content on the arts in Singapore and Asia. Hi Claire, great to see you again. Hi Michelle. The last time we were sweating over deadlines and now we are at different places, me at the library and you at the Esplanade. Yeah, yeah. all those years ago we were in the newsroom together as journalists. Don't review what dinosaurs <laughs> we are. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to talk about some of our favourite performances, musicals. You know, you've literally had a front row seat on the development of Singapore Theatre from your student days at VJC and also as a former ST journalist and now in your current role at the Esplanade. So can you share with me what sparked your interest in theatre and also especially musicals? Okay, well, I think it started back when I was a kid because, I mean, if you think about movies, actually the movie musical is as old as cinema itself. So when we were kids, uh, musicals like The Sound of Music, Singing in the Rain, you know, they were all playing on, on TV and that was my first exposure. I remember watching The Sound of Music many times as a kid and I, I liked singing, I liked theatre so when I was in junior college I joined the choir. I remember in the choir we did a production of the Disney musical Beauty and the Beast. Very embarrassing now but I was oh, one of the... what role were you playing? I was one of the, the three sisters, the bimbos who fawned over um, Gascon. Yeah, so I mean it was, it was all, you know, a bit of fun as, as teenagers and I mean after that when I became a journalist, I ended up reviewing theatre during the late 90s and the 2000s. And that was pretty much like, I guess, the heyday of, of musical theatre in Singapore. That was a period where a lot of theatre companies realised that, that musicals were something that was popular and something that, that they could sink their teeth into. And, and there were quite a number of them um, over, over those two decades. So, yeah, I watched a lot of musicals. Also, 
uh, overseas as well. When I was a, a postgraduate student in London, I saw musicals on the West End. Like to know, do you have a favorite Singapore musical? Could you share with us also how you feel about musicals as a genre? So I've been I've been thinking about this. I think that one of the the gifts that musical theatre gives to us is that it can take complex issues you know, issues that might be alienating to a lot of people and make them very entertaining uh, in a very, you know, with, with song and, and dance and all that. But it can, it can really hit some home truths, you know, through that, that medium. And I was just thinking about it because, you know, during the pandemic, Wild Rice released some of its pantomimes, right. uh, archival productions uh, over, over YouTube for, for people to watch. And I, I got my kids, uh, they're age 8 and 10, to watch Monkey Goes West, which is Wild Rice's pantomime, a localized adaptation of Journey to the West, the, the, the Chinese folktale, right? And I mean, it's, it's really entertaining. It kept my kids glued to the TV set for two hours, which is a, a big achievement. Congratulations, Wild Rice. You know, they might have been playing online games otherwise. But one thing that struck me was that it was also very moving. It's about a boy who's searching for his mother who has disappeared and like he sees her in his dreams. And it's, it's, that's, that's the journey in a way that, that he takes. And I was very moved. And my, I could tell my son was very moved too. And he's, he's close to me. And... I realised that later on, because uh, Alfian Saad, the playwright, shared about it, that actually when he was writing that musical, um, he was influenced a lot by by his mother, who was battling cancer at the time while he was writing the musical, and a lot of it, a lot of those feelings came out. And and yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was very moving, and I was really glad that you know um, my son's first exposure to theatre was through this musical that he, you know he learned something about about humanity and and loss. So that's what I think you know that that musicals can do that they can get us connected with with our humanity with with some complex emotions, uh, difficult things like how like Hamilton um, that that hit musical in in the US. I mean, it's got you know teenagers interested in American history all of a sudden, right? Who would have thought this rap musical could do that? And to, to go back to your question about my favourite musical, I'm thinking that that's something that maybe has managed to do that in terms of, of, of Singapore and, and, and Singapore history and, and nostalgia. Perhaps it's Beauty World. I mean, in, it debuted in 1988. Uh, it was popular, but it also came out at a time where uh, Singaporean artists, Singaporeans in general, were, were finding their identity and they were expressing it on stage. And suddenly, you know, artists and, and, and they realised, oh, actually, it, it's... It's something that, that we, we can do on stage. You can strike a chord with, with people. You know, everyone remembers uh, Beauty World, cha-cha-cha. Yeah. The ladies, Beauty World, cha-cha-cha. That that song, um, I mean, Dick Lee's catchy music. The music is half of a musical, right? So, so the the songs really um, found their way into people's consciousness. It brought back a Singapore, uh, a bygone era of 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 a 
of of cabarets, you know, the CD cabarets in 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 Singapore, and people enjoyed it. It was a lark, and the musical went on to be restaged a number of times. Even became uh, even the went TV. on TV. Yeah, right. you know. So I would have to say that yeah, I think you know, as far as a landmark goes in in Singapore musical theatre history, would have to be beautiful for all the doors it opened for for Singapore theatre in telling Singapore stories on stage. It's interesting because uh, when Dick Lee and Michael Chang, when they donated our manuscripts with us, as well as their paraphernalia, um, man, there were many oohs and ahs in, 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 you know, amongst our staff. Like, oh, right. we brought back so many memories, so so many happy memories. Yeah, yeah. I think people people remember Beauty World. Maybe they might have seen it on TV, they might have seen it on stage. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's familiar and, and well-loved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now back to your book, uh, Theatre Life, which you had done uh, much painstaking research on and, you know, you delved into the history of Singapore's theatre scene. Could you tell us a bit more about how you came to write this book, which happens to have been your first book also? <laughs> and um, through your research, right, could you maybe share with us some memories that, that you have? So back then, I was sort of in my in my mid-twenties, so still quite a young journalist. And I remember my my editor at the time, Sumiko Tan. So it was, it was her idea to do a live theatre award. So, you know, the Straits Times Live, they, they have an award ceremony every year where they honour the best in, in yeah. Singapore theatre of the preceding year, right? So they started Live Theatre Awards in 2001. And the year before that, Sumiko said to me, Claire, would you like to write a book on Singapore theatre? So being the trooper that I am, I said, okay. And then I realised that Wow, that's what actually... What have you gotten yourself <laughs> yeah. into? Because it was going to chart the history of, of Singapore theatre from Singapore English Language Theatre from the 50s right. to 2000. And it, it really meant hunting down a lot of people, some of who might have left Singapore or who, who might, you know, be quite old, you know, uh, to really take them uh, to, to like, like oral right. history, a whole series of oral history interviews. And uh, I had about six months to do it. So I, I This I was a it, time it was a great experience. before the internet was, you know, had proliferated, right? Yeah, that's right. So you right. actually had to call them up, trace their number. Yeah, in some, yeah. some cases, I actually wrote, I had to hand or type out letters to them. Right. Uh, like like Gopo Singh in, in Vancouver wow. and Max LeBlond in, in Sydney. David Birch in in How did in you get Australia. the address in the first place? Uh, I mean, through some of, of, of the theatre contacts in Singapore, some of them who, who were in touch or, or are in touch with them. Yeah, so it was it, it was doing doing interviews, but it was, but it was very rewarding because as, as a young journalist, it really gave me this sense of, of history of how, you know, Singapore theatre, Singapore arts and culture got to where it is at that point in time and, and where it could possibly go. Yeah, so that was how it started. And so as part of that, I, I interviewed Act 3. Uh, they were the first... Uh, they, they are the first professional theatre company, first professional Singapore theatre company. And I mean, as, as part of the interviews, I mean, they, you know, theatre theater makers will tell you things. And, and one of the things they said was, hey, actually, you know, um, while there's a lot of fuss being made about Beauty World, uh, Beauty World was not the first Singapore musical. Actually, we did the That's first. Right. Yeah, it was Makan Place. So it, it was this musical about two teenagers who like to gather in a hawker centre about food. You know, Singaporeans love food. And that was the, the first Singapore musical back in March 1988. Oh. So that was something that I, I discovered uh, through, through the book. Beauty World actually came a few months later. But I think Beauty World's contribution was it popularized the, the genre of, of the musical. I think at that time, it, it sold out 11 performances, 9,000 tickets. It was quite a, a feat. It's quite a feat. Yeah, in, yeah. in 1988. It right. made a lot of, of artists realize actually it's possible to be, uh, you know, to do theater full time for a living. Right. Yeah. You know, you started reviewing theater really fresh out of your 
of university in your mid twenty in your early twenties, and so you had written this book by your mid twenties, and it's quite a feat. So, like it or not, you had a certain power over how a production. Uh, you know, is received, oh. and you recall that that famous line: "Singapore theatre has never sunk so low." <laughs> yeah, I so, said that in one of my reviews. Right. Yes. So, could you tell us, given that you had to write reviews, some of which were quite so-called controversial, and probably got you some flack from theatre practitioners? How did you deal with this? So, when I started out, I was very gung ho, and I've always believed. I mean, even even now that I should. You know, speak the truth, truth to power, or be true to to what I feel about about something. So I, I always stood by that. But having said that, in the course of time, I realized that is is not enough to just shoot from the hip. You do have to be very informed. You do have to be very considered. So I started to think more, and I also made it a point to research, to watch a lot of theater, to make sure that uh, whatever I say is, is is grounded in in something, and how I dealt with it. So I mean, there there were a lot of I mean, okay. So this was this was pre-social media. So it was a time where I mean, if people were upset with what uh, you're saying, they they can't flame you. So that's a good thing. But uh, it also meant that that um, because they didn't have an 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 outlet, they would feel more strongly, you know, about what what you said. So I remember. For example, getting hate mail, I mean, email or, or even sometimes handwritten letters. Oh. Uh, sometimes theatre practitioners would call me and then they, uh, it, they would start out very politely, but then it would turn, out, turn into a shouting match. Oh my. I remember one uh, director uh, who was so upset with something I wrote that he actually wrote a letter of complaint addressed to the National Arts Council chairman and, and my bosses. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so there was a lot of this, but I, I learned to take it into my str- in my stride. I learned to grow a thick skin and to acknowledge that my words are, are out there and I, I stand by them, but uh, people have, have every right to take issue them, with them and criticize them. It's all par for the course. So I learned, I learned to be philosophical about it, right. essentially. So you're, you're the female version of the Bangtan boys, the bulletproof woman. No, no. But I mean, it, it just really struck me, yeah, sometimes how people can really take your words to heart. So I remember... I panned a musical and I, I don't even think I, I said anything specifically about the actors, but a, a, a certain well-known Singapore actor called me up 10 years later after that, that review. A decade later. Yeah, a decade later. And he said, you know, um, that review changed my life. After I, I, I read it, I, I turned away from doing sort of like more commercial fare and I, I uh, decided to do things that, that sort of like spoke to me more intimately and were more experimental and more artistic. I thought, wow, you know, 10 years, I don't even remember that review. So I think, oh. you know, as writers, we do have a certain responsibility. That's yeah, right. And, I'm, and I, I am conscious of, of that. So, yeah, I mean, you remind me of, of, of something that I might have written, you know, more than 10 years ago. I guess you helped him in his growth as an artist also in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think reviewers, journalists, critics, we are part of the ecosystem and, and that's part of our responsibility. And I mean, I, I, I personally think it, it's sad that, you know, um, with the... Uh, I mean, with 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 traditional media having lost some of its influence and and revenue and all that, that they're, they're no longer investing as much in in arts journalism. That's um, right. Yeah, because it the art needs criticism to grow. That's right. Essentially, it does. And what did you observe about you know Singapore's musical theatre scene and how it has you know changed over the years? Like for example, we're talking about some of the milestones that that you have personally witnessed over the years. So. After Beauty World, theatre makers realised that, that musicals could strike a chord and they could be box office gold. So in the 90s, particularly in the late 90s 
and then in the 2000s there were quite a lot of musicals and and some of these musicals became commercially successful so two of them that come to mind one would be Chang and Ng the musical by Action Theatre uh, which was based on the the life story of the original Siamese twins Chang and Ng uh, who were literally joined at the hip and that did really well I think it is been rerun multiple times and during one run in the late 90s I think it, it I think nearly 50,000 people watched it and it ran for eight weeks which is quite amazing even by today's standards right but I mean it, it, it showed I think people remember uh I'm trying to channel Selena Tan here songs like, you know, like, <laughs> like my my pen right which was sung by the, the twins mother um, yes. Nock like my pen right means never mind my dear so i mean it, 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 oh, it's really like thai brought me back know? to that era yeah it's yeah. like because it you know it it plays on 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 the thai language as well yeah so and then after changening uh there was forbidden city which was uh jointly presented by singapore repertory theater and esplanade for uh esplanade's opening festival back in 2002 and it also went on to to be revived quite a few times. The last run was just a few years ago. And I mean, people remember Kit Chan as the Empress Dowager uh, Cixi. So it was, it was based on the life of, of that Chinese dragon lady Empress. Nobody knows me. No one can feel the pain that I've known. The days without love, the nights all alone. If no one will fight, I'll fight on my own. Nobody knows. Nobody sees me Thought I'd accept the rules of their game They thought I'd give up and live with the shame They'll take all I have and leave me the blame Soon they will know Soon they will know This is my only chance Love, stay by my side Never my pride, this is my only chance. Love, open your heart for someone who needs you. Nobody hears me. How could they think with all that they've done? I'd let them deny the dreams of my son. I'll fight for his life till justice is won. Then they will know. Then they will know. So one one of the developments I think was yeah, sort of like these bankable musicals that struck a chord and then they they they, they kept getting revived because mm. people realized that hey, you know, it, it, they uh, uh, people like them. But I think another interesting development has been how how, how musicals use language. So it, it's a very Singaporean thing. I mean, we don't we don't speak the Queen's English, right? So likewise, the musicals reflect how Singaporeans talk. There's Singlish. There are also other languages in the music. So our musicals are multilingual. And aside from English language musicals, we've also seen growth in Mandarin. Broadway-style musicals, beginning with uh, December Rains in the late 90s. Yeah. There have been quite a, a few other Mandarin musicals as well. And also Malay language musicals. So Esplanade worked together with a, a Malaysian company, Infinity, to produce Putri Gunung Ledang uh, and P. Ramli, the musical. So 
I think you know the the how the musical have evolved has evolved in Singapore is is quite le- quite uniquely Singaporean in terms of fe- reflecting how we use language, how we use English, and also the the different languages. Right, we have actually been more confident in in that sense through and it shows in our in our musical performances. Would you agree with that? Yes, yeah. I think so. I mean. Something I, I remember. I mean, if you talk about musicals and identity, or music and identity, uh, so so Dick Lee did an interview, which is uh, archived on the Esplanade Offstage site, and he said that he wrote Fried Rice, Fried Rice Paradise back in the seventies, and when it first came out, it was actually banned. Oh, why? Uh, why was that so? Because of the use of of singlish, oh. so it was banned from the airwaves. But you know, years later, after after Beauty World became successful and all that. He was emboldened by it to just turn Fried Rice Paradise into a musical, and then he he didn't care anymore about the use of singlish. And then Fried Rice Paradise was well received. And then recently, so my 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 kids found out that Dick Lee is a Facebook friend of mine, and they were very excited. And I was like, "Wow, you know Dick Lee?" And apparently, they heard Fried Rice Paradise in school because one of their their friends sang it in a talent competition. So they were able to sing like. Fried rice paradise, nasi goreng, very nice. Ninety nine varieties, that's a speciality. Fried rice paradise, nasi goreng, very nice. That's a speciality. Ninety nine varieties. Fried rice paradise, shook. It's how it's been described. Booked a table, very wise. That is what I would do. I could actually sing that, and I thought this is how far we have come as a society, right. as a nation. You know, from from banning singlish to embracing it. You know, in a full in a full fledged full length musical. That's right, and we can't talk about Fried Rice Paradise without talking about Michael Chang's uh, Army Days, which also you know made its debut in the 1980s, and then it became a musical as well. Yes, yeah. So. Yeah. In in some ways, Michael Chiang is the playwriting counterpart of Dick Lee because uh, right. he and 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 Dick Lee, uh, they they co-wrote Beauty World together. Michael Chiang writing the book and and Dick Lee the music. And Michael Chiang was the playwright in the late eighties and the nineties who who wrote plays that that were were popular, that used singlish, that were funny, that people liked. You know, so yeah, I I think yeah he was a a key player as well in the growth of the musical. That's right. Back to this this part about singlish. There was a time where dialogue in in Singapore theatre was was said to be rather stilted, and and they really got panned. Uh, so so that could you tell us a bit a bit more about um what you found out uh, you know in, of the theatre in the nineteen sixties. Uh, okay. So as part of my research for the theatre life book, um, I mean when we when we when we did the interviews for for the early years in the 50s, 60s and 70s, what I, what I found was that that period, you know, there was, uh, I mean, a, a lot of people saw English language theatre, uh, it, was, it was dominated by expatriate groups like the Stage right. Club. There was still a bit of a, a, a colonial mindset. I mean, Singapore was independent in 1965, but the, the British troops only left in 73. So there was still a bit of a colonial hang up. And a lot of companies... The, the few theatre companies that were active then were quite reluctant to, to take a chance on local scripts mm. and Singapore playwrights. Uh, so someone like, like Robert Yeo, who wrote poetry and plays in, in the 70s, found it difficult to get his, his play staged. Uh, and no one would, would pick up his, his play one year back home, not just because of its political subject matter, but also because at that time, there was a stigma attached with local plays. They thought it couldn't be any good. So it took... Directors like like Max LeBon, for example, to to take the play and to workshop it with actors, so that you know wh- whatever flaws that might have been in 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 the dialogue, 
so I mean the 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 line that's always quoted, like people say that this is line in in uh, a character in One Year Back Home who says um bye hua and say slamat malam to <laughs> young Lisa for me, right? And that 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 is an awkward use of the of Singlish. No one in real life would speak like that. Yeah. So, but Max Le- Max Leblon worked with the actors, which included um, I mean like like well known people who would go on to be well known luminaries like uh, T Sasitharan to workshop the the language so that it became more alive, right. you know, and more organic and, and truer to how people speak. So I think this kind of, because theatre is a collaborative medium, so you actually need people, you need a, a group of people to come together and to make it come alive, you know, through acting and, 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 and all that in different ways. And that's the only way playwrights can grow. So it, it, it took time. And I think um, we've come a long way since the 80s. Yes, we've certainly come a long way. I'd like to know, you know, you've given such a good summary of how our Singapore theatre scene, especially uh, Singapore musical theatre, has evolved. What do you think are the challenges that still remain for not just the stage companies, but also the actors, writers, composers, audience, and even as performances have gained popularity? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think one of the ways in which in which Singapore theatre has grown, musical theatre specifically, is that we now have a talent pool of stalwarts and creatives, actors who can be counted on to, you know, to deliver a musical. I remember Dick Lee saying, you know, that uh, in the old days, in, in the 80s, they had to specially write roles in musicals for the few people that they knew could sing because mm-hmm. there were so few. Like, like he wrote uh, he, he, he wrote a song in, in Beauty World for Christina Ong whom he knew could hit a high D. Right. He wrote the high D especially for her. Right. I think now there are many more Singaporean talents who can carry a musical. I mean, performers like Benjamin Chow, uh, Cheryl Tan, Francis Lee. I mean, there are, there are so many of them. And of course, you know, you have composers, lyricists and all that like Dick Lee, Selena Tan. So you have that, that talent pool. But it still remains difficult to develop original homegrown musicals. I think a lot of companies still tend to stage either the tried and tested works that they know have worked in the past, like your Chang and Ings or your Beauty World, or they, they stage foreign Broadway musicals. And the reason for that is because it's, it's three times more difficult to, to develop a, a, a play, you know, compared to, uh, sorry, to develop a musical compared to a play. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a musical combines both dialogue, combines dialogue, music as well as, as movement, dance. So you have to get all three things right mm. and integrate all three things well and seamlessly. Mm. So it's like three times the amount of work. Right. And Dick Lee uh, has gone on the record saying that it took Forbidden City six years to, to develop. It took uh, Beauty World four years to develop. So it takes a long time to develop good musicals. And in today's climate, particularly with the pandemic, with right. arts companies, artists being so badly hit in terms of, of funding and income, it's very hard to see, you know, companies investing in musicals. The, I mean, the, the cost of a musical also is twice or three times more than a regular production because of, of the, the amount of spectacle and talents in, involved in it. So I, I, I would say that, you know, while there are a lot of, of bright spots in terms of, of, of there being more talents and all that, it still remains this challenge in terms of, of developing new musicals, new original musicals. And theatre practitioners uh, would just naturally gravitate towards other forms of theatre that are more intimate and do not require as much resources to mm. put on. Talking about that, um, now that you have mentioned, you know, uh, the challenges that that we have, we have faced or are facing, um, I'd like to know what are your thoughts on the future directions of Singapore theatre scene, in, in particular Singapore musicals? So like I, I mentioned about COVID, actually even even pre-COVID in, in the last decade or so, I feel the you know the the investment, the 
output in terms of musical theatre has slowed down. Yeah, for for the reasons that I, I mentioned earlier, and even with COVID now, I don't I don't see Singapore theatre makers going back to musicals in in a big way like they mm. did in the '90s and and the 2000s. Uh, mm. They will they will they will find uh, other ways to tell stories. In fact, you know, during the pandemic, um, theatre makers have used, for example, uh, Zoom or, or or digital forms. So theatre is a very resilient medium. So it 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 will adapt. And right now, musical theatre may not be. It may not be, you know, the, the the form of choice, but it will always have a place in people's hearts because people like uh, listening to music. They like watching dance moves on stage, and you don't need to be someone very arty, you know, highbrow, literate to appreciate a musical. So, a musical will always have its place. But I feel that, yeah, it, you know, maybe it, it's season. This is not quite the season for it, but one day it will come back. That's. A great thing to to know. <laughs> yeah, we've had a great time with uh, Clarissa today. Thank you very much, Clarissa. Um, to to end it all, thank off, you for having me. No, you're welcome. It's brought you know. I'm sure it will bring many many memories back for many people as well uh, of this glorious era of of uh, musical <laughs> theatre. Would you like to sing to us uh, uh, one of your favorite musicals? A lines, uh, some lines maybe. Oh, okay. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't sung in many years since my days in the choir. Um, okay, I'll, 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 I'll try something from, from. So when, 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 when I was in in the choir, I mean, we were, we were crazy about about Les Mis, you know, mm, because it, yeah. was, it was all the rage back then. In, in don't in have to say 90s. when it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. I, I, I was thinking that's not so well known from right. um, Les Mis. It was sung by by Eponine, the the wave as she's dying on on the barricades. Let's see, I can remember it from memory. Don't you fret, Monsieur Marius. I don't feel any pain. A little fall of rain can hardly hurt me now. You're here, that's all I need to know. And you will keep me safe. And you will keep me whole And rain will make the flowers grow Woo! <laughs> thank you, thank you, Clarissa! <laughs> that was a great conversation you had, Michelle, with Clarissa. And she had a great voice. Don't you think so? Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it too. Just to now let the audience know more about you, uh, Michelle, can you tell us one fun fact about being a literary arts uh, librarian? Well, the great thing about being a literary arts librarian is that we have been able to meet a lot of pioneer writers and also a lot of young budding talents as well, writers in Singapore. And not only that, there are also script writers, directors, a lot of people who have contributed greatly to the arts. And when they donate their materials with us, be it uh, scripts or be it uh, manuscripts or even typescripts, we actually are able to have a very intimate glimpse into their lives. So it's almost as if you're re walking through a novel, through this repertoire of their works, even through their photographs as well. And you get to see firsthand uh, how their lives panned out. Yeah. Wow, that's great, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's really an experience, I must say, and a privilege. Huh? Yeah, it's right. a privilege.
Okay, so you must have been also be interested in theatre scenes and musicals. So do you remember the first musical you ever watched? Yeah, of course. The first musical I watched was not on theatre but on you know, on TV. When we were in primary school, our teachers would screen Often Annie. Of, I mean, it's not Singaporean, it's, it's uh, American. Mm. But we used to sing and, and dance along with Often Annie, all her trials and tribulations. I remember that very well. Uh, later on, as I grew older... I was able to watch it on, you know, in the theatres and I was able to watch, of course, Beauty World. And there was also a Chinese uh, language uh, musical theatre called I Have a Date with Spring. And it was actually a, also a movie, but I watched the theatre version, musical theatre version. I really like watching Asian language productions be it Malay language or Chinese language or even if I can you know, get an invitation to a Tamil, Tamil language uh, production. production. I would love mm. to be able to watch it, especially, I, I like watching Bollywood movies as well. I mean, as being <laughs> Singaporeans, right? I mean, we are exposed to all these multi-language yeah. productions. And one of the unique elements of, you know, Singapore musical theatre is, uh, you know, the use of Singlish and, you know, different kind of languages that, you That's know, right. yeah, we find in our society. So how do you, like, can you share some memories, you know, of, you know, watching such productions? Yeah, of course, I had watched Army Days which was later turned into a musical. And there was quite a bit of different sprinklings of, you know, various languages in, yes. in, in uh, Michael Chang's play, as you, as you well know. And I was very pleased when uh, he donated his uh, movie script to us, as well as all the uh, paraphernalia. And not only that, I, I believe you, you remember uh, the late Mr. Kuo Pao Kun. Sure. Yes. Yeah, he contributed greatly to uh, Singapore Theatre. And I recall as a, as a student, uh, how his cast and crew who put up the play Mama Looking for Her Cat came to our school and, and they got us all on our knees uh, looking for imaginary cats, speaking in different dialects, which at the time, we were not really encouraged to speak, if, if you recall. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> so that was a great experience and I was exposed to his works. And when I actually saw his some of the uh, personal papers, I was very touched because you, you, you get first-hand experience looking at uh, such um, an intimate portrait of a great writer-director. Yeah. So, Michelle, where can all these materials be retrieved? Well, it's right there on Music SG. We have a lot of uh, musical tracks on Music SG. And if you wish to look for uh, paraphernalia as well as uh, some donated typescripts, manuscripts, you can come to the National Library. It's in our donor collection. And we also put up uh, regular exhibitions of materials donated by our donors. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. You have been listening to Radio DDC with me, Thiru. To access the music featured in this episode, you can visit our digital music archive, Music SG, using the links in the episode description. Also, if you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like Radio DDC, you may also like another NLB podcast we have called Moving Art. It's a series where we talk about topics related to the performing arts such as film, dance, music and theatre. Hosted by librarians from the Library at Esplanade, Singapore's only performing arts library, Moving Art is now available on Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to Radio DDC.